Good morning. Welcome to Wiser Lake Chapel. Merry Christmas. Glad to have you with us. Uh, I know we have some visitors this morning. My name is Nathan Chambers. I'm the pastor here and we're glad to have you with us. Just a couple announcements as we get started. Uh, one is there's no evening service tonight, uh, Christmas time with family. And then in two weeks there's going to be an elder installation, so that's coming up. And then Sunday school will start in three weeks from now. Uh, a couple more uh, announcements. One is some of you may have already discovered the pipes are frozen somewhere under the parking lot, so there's no water in either building. Uh, so sorry about that. We just figured that out shortly before service. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, there is hand sanitizer in both buildings if you need to wash your hands. Uh, and then uh, thank you to Tom and Brenda and Ethan for scraping and shoveling the walks and sidewalks. Everything's uh, uh, accessible, that's what I'm trying to say. Not ice. Kids, thank you for your kids' notes. Uh, good work. This one's anonymous, but great illustration of, I'm going to take it as a sword, I bet. Abram, good job on those notes. Nate, good job. Jack Lovegren. It seems like a tank fits for every sermon topic. I'm not sure exactly how, but thank you, Nate, uh, uh, Jack. Uh, Cole, good job. And then Lulu, good work. Carmen, love those notes. And then Felix, good work on those notes, kids. We're going to begin a little bit different way this morning. Our chapel choir is going to sing a, a Christmas carol. And then uh, actually two Christmas carols. On the second one, we're going to join on the very last verse as a congregation. Let's pray, though, as we get beginning, get started. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas, this time that we can worship together and celebrate your, the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came for us. Thank you for these uh, members of our congregation who have been practicing hard to lead us in worship and calm their nerves as they sing together these carols of praise to you. Amen. All right, the chapel choir is going to come up now. <laughs> Thank you. 
join us and stand. Again, thank you, choir. That was wonderful. And I know uh, some people have been navigating snowdrifts to get here. Got here a little bit late, so just uh, the the water is frozen at the chapel, so bathrooms aren't functional. And then uh, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the juice is going to be cranberry juice, and that's entirely on my own shoulders of messing up. 
bringing juice, but when you drink it, it's not, uh, there's not something wrong with it. It's, it's meant to taste like cranberry. So warning you that now before we get into worship. And so uh, hopefully that is not distracting later in the service. Uh, if you're like me and have kids at home, you may have had a conversation this week that went along the lines of why are we going to church on Christmas Day. Maybe I'm the only one, but uh, if, if you did, the pastor's family also had this discussion. Well, why are we here at church on Christmas Day? It's fun to get together to see our church family. That's all true. But fundamentally, we are here because the God of all creation, the ruler of heaven and earth, has called us into his presence and has said, come, spend time with me, worship me. And so that's what we're going to do. Hear the word of our Lord. Read together from Psalm 96. Let's rise to our feet for this call to worship. It's printed in the worship guide. Hear the word of our Lord calling us into his presence. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. Let's sing his praises with hymn 208, O Come, All Ye Faithful.
now in prayer. Lord, as we come into your presence at your call, may all that is said and done this morning be to your glory and honor. Receive our songs and our prayers, our thoughts and our words to your glory. Amen. Please be seated. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses. Hear now the reading of God's word. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be placed upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christ is born to be a king and to establish a kingdom, a kingdom that is defined by justice and righteousness. And if we're honest with ourselves, we behave in ways that are unjust, that are unrighteous, that fall short of the ideals of his kingdom. And so as we come into God's presence, we confess together our sin saying, God, here are ways we have been unjust, we have been unrighteous, please forgive us. We confess our sins knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us. Join me together in praying the prayer that's printed in the worship guide, and then there'll be a time of silent confession. Almighty God and Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned through our own fault in thought and word and deed, and in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, raise us up to serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen.
Friends, we know ourselves to be sinners, if we're being honest with ourselves, but we know more than simply that. Hear now the good news, the assurance that your sins have been forgiven. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Our God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us. Friends, if your faith is in Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Our service is a little bit different order. If you're a usual Wiser Lake Chapel person, we're going to turn now to our time of prayer on behalf of our church and community, and then we'll sing a bit more later in response to our gospel readings. Join me now in offering prayers on behalf of our church and our community. Gracious Lord, you give so much. You gave even yourself to redeem us from our lawlessness, to purify us. We ask indeed that we would be made a people fit for your kingdom. We would be a people of your own possession. Lord, give us a zealousness for good works. There is much need both in our own church family and in our community, and we ask that you would use us to do good work, serving those in need. Lord, we ask on this Christmas day for those who might be distraught, who might feel overwhelmed. Some families have conflict, and so this is a hard day for them. Others have lost loved ones in the last year, and so it's a day that brings up grief and hardship. Lord, we ask for your comfort for those who mourn. We ask for your peace for those who are distraught, for those who are overwhelmed. Lord, this ought to be a day of great rejoicing, and yet many do not know the reason why we even celebrate Christmas. And so we ask that we as a chapel would be faithful in proclaiming the good news that Christ is born for us. Indeed, that he lived for us and died for us and is risen again, that we might be risen with him, raised with him. Let us be faithful witnesses to this message through our lives and by our words and by our actions. Lord, this is a day when many of us will feast together with family and friends. We ask for those who are alone today, for those who do not have enough that you would provide for them. Lord, it's also a day when we need to hear your word. And so we ask that as we read the gospel story once again of Christ's birth, that you would be at work within us, giving us a love for Christ once again a renewed thankfulness for what you have done on our behalf. As we give in the offering, we ask that you would take our gifts and use them for your glory. We offer all these prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, many people, most people perhaps, exchange gifts on Christmas. And we do that as a sign of our love for one another. It's a symbol of our relationship, exchanging gifts. In the same way, when we give in the offering, it's a response to God's prior giving to us. So our offering verse this morning is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When we give in the offering, it's not a way to earn our salvation or favor with God. It's a way to respond to his gift to us with our own gift back to him. This is an act of worship by the members of Wiser Lake Chapel. Guests, please do not in any way feel compelled to give this morning. Uh, as the offertory is played and the offering is collected, use this time to prepare your hearts for the reading and preaching of God's word. Our first reading is from Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, and it's on page 1018 in your pew Bible. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Dugia, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's respond to this first reading by singing together hymn 201, O Little Town of Bethlehem. up at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Let us respond to this reading with hymn 214, Angels We Have Heard on High.
We've heard uh, the story of Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Luke. We've responded with song, and now I want to reflect for a few moments on two themes in this passage. The hidden hand behind the humble birth and the light that shines in the darkness. First, consider with me the hidden hand behind the humble birth. The hidden hand that's at work behind this humble birth. Luke begins his story by contrasting the decrees of the Roman emperor with a humble birth in poverty in rural Judea. After the angelic appearances to Zechariah and Mary and the birth of John the Baptist in Luke 1, Luke pulls back from this particular family's story to the broader events of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was a pivotal figure in consolidating the Roman Empire under one ruler and in elevating the position of the Caesar as the sole leader of the empire. In fact, before Augustus, Caesar was a family name like Chambers. After Augustus, it was an imperial title that the emperors used. Augustus claimed that his adopted father, Julius Caesar, had become a god upon his death, and therefore Augustus himself was a son of God. In 6 uh, BC, Judea came under direct Roman control, and so although we have no extra-biblical evidence for this census or registration that Luke talks about, it fits entirely plausibly within what we know of what's happening in this time period. Registrations listed people, but for bureaucratic purposes, a registration was a claim of ownership. Caesar says, you belong to me. It's a claim of lordship. In fact, another registration a few years later led to a Jewish revolt when Jesus was a child. So uh, pugnacious were these registrations. From the perspective of God's people living in Judea, things are about as dark and as bad as can be. A foreign dictator who sets himself up as a son of God has claimed control and lordship over the land of Judea and over God's people. Despair has reached its depths. And yet, Luke says, Caesar Augustus' claims to absolute universal rule are but the backstory to the story of the true Son of God being born into the world. By starting the story of Jesus' birth in this way, Luke is making an important point that the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, has global significance. It's more important even than Caesar's and empire's. Here is the birth of a king and a kingdom that eclipses even mighty Rome. In fact, the Roman emperor unwittingly serves the hidden hand of God, the true ruler governing all things. And so, as John Calvin puts it, a dictator's bidding pulls Mary away from her home in fulfillment of prophecy. In the depths of despair, when things are at their bleakest, here is God at work. It's not exactly clear why people are sent to their ancestral homes to be registered. Perhaps it's a way to play on Jewish tribal affiliations to get people to go along with the registration. Uh, an Egyptian registration about 100 years later also sent people back to their ancestral homes. Uh, I know Brian asked about that last week. I didn't figure out the answer, and no one seems to be quite sure, but they send people to their ancestral homes. Again, it, it, Luke's story, we, it fits the general practice in the Roman Empire. What we do know is that centuries earlier, Micah the prophet had proclaimed, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so Rome is unwittingly serving God's plan. Rome is at work to put Mary in the place where she needs to be for God's chosen ruler to be born. Rome's ruler, rule is only provisional insofar as it suits God's purposes. About the time of Jesus' birth, the governor of the Roman province of Asia uh, suggested that the civic calendar should begin on September 23rd, Augustus' birthday, uh, since the governor said, uh, that date might justly be considered equal to the beginning of all things, for Augustus has given a different appearance to the whole world, a world which would have fallen into ruin if he had not been born. Well, Luke tells us the story of the one whose birth has truly changed the whole world. But his birth is not marked by any imperial celebration. No royal announcements, no honor guard. It's about as humble of a birth as is imaginable. Complying with the registration, Joseph returns from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem, since he is of the house and line of David. Along with Joseph goes pregnant Mary. Luke says they were betrothed, not yet uh, consummated their marriage, and yet she was with child. The child comes from God, not from human conception. We're not told how long they were in Bethlehem, perhaps several weeks. We aren't told why Mary traveled with Joseph, uh, given her pregnancy. Perhaps, though, there were already rumors and gossip going about town back in Nazareth, such that Joseph thought it better to bring her with him. In any case, they are in Bethlehem, and while they are there, it came time for Mary to give birth. And Luke packs a lot into verse 7. Do you see how it unfolds? She gave birth to her firstborn. What's his birthright as a firstborn? Nothing but this. They're in the city of David because they're from the line of David. Could this be the promised ruler coming from Bethlehem from the line of David? But do you see his poor estate? She wrapped him in strips of cloth and lied him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The feeding trough and no place for the inn could mean that Jesus was born in a stable, as many uh, nativity scenes have it. But this isn't the usual word for inn, and Bethlehem was a small town not on any major crossroads, and so it's unlikely that Bethlehem actually had a commercial inn in it. The phrase could also mean there was no room for them in the guest room, or there was no guest room for them. In the homes of many common and poor people in Judea, animals were kept on the ground floor. The living space was upstairs. And so perhaps what we should picture is that the animals were sent out of the ground floor and it was cleaned up so that Mary and Joseph could have some private space. Or then again, early church tradition has it that Jesus was born in a cave near Bethlehem that was used to keep animals, had been converted into a stable. There's more than one way to imagine the scene, but what is clear is that it is a scene of poverty. It's a humble birth in obscurity on the margins of the empire. Calvin again comments, Such was his manner of birth, for he had put on our flesh to the end that he might empty himself for our sake. This birth is part of the self-emptying, not that Christ should lose any glory through it, but only that for a time it should be concealed. The Son of God emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
in a humble situation on the margins. And Luke subtly foreshadows where this humble uh, Christ humility will end up. He writes here, she wrapped him in cloths, cloth strips and laid him in a manger. Then in chapter 23, he writes, they wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb. The same verbs are used in both cases. Luke begins by contrasting these imperial claims and this humble birth orchestrated by a hidden hand. He's saying the undoing of all uh, uh, empire, uh, 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 empire's claims to power are undone by this birth of a child. And yet, what of this humble birth? Surely many children were born in obscurity and poverty during Augustus' reign. Why is this significant? To show us what the birth means, how we ought to respond, Luke takes us to the shepherds in the field who are provided, uh, provide us with an interpretive clue to what these events mean. They hear the message, they show us how to respond. And so consider this second theme in Luke's story, that light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness. Luke shows us in uh, the second part of this chapter what John tells us. John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's what John tells us at the beginning of his gospel. Luke turns from Jesus' birth to a dark scene. Shepherds in the countryside watching their flocks by night. And then light shines in the darkness. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Moses asks to see God's glory and God answers, I will make my goodness pass before you, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Isaiah has a vision of the glory of the Lord filling the temple and he cries out, woe is me, I am ruined. Ezekiel sees a likeness of the glory of the Lord and falls flat on his face. And now an angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shines around them and they are filled with great fear. But the angel invites the shepherds to exchange great fear for great joy. Luke uses the same phrase here, great fear, great joy. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God in his glory, if we see it, leads to great fear, to collapsing on our face, to crying out, woe is me, even to death. But now the angel says, instead of great joy, or instead of great fear, we can have great joy because of the good news that the angel brings us. What is this good news? No one has ever seen God, no one may see God and live, and yet the glory of the Lord is made known in the face of this baby, born a humble birth on the margins of the empire. The angel's announcement echoes Isaiah 9 that we already read, and it gives us three clues to why this humble birth is so important. First, today a Savior is born for you. Caesar Augustus also claimed to be a Savior who won great victories and brought peace throughout the Roman Empire for over a century. But Jesus is a Savior who brings peace with God. Jesus never promised a century of peace or a period of peace on earth like Caesar Augustus, but rather he says, I make God between, or peace between God and humanity. 
Through Jesus, we know God's fatherly love towards us. And this is the foundation of great joy. Second, the Savior is Christ, the Messiah, the promised hope of Israel. So he's saying the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. This message of great joy is rooted in the story of Israel, the law and the prophets. The Savior comes to fulfill the law through humble obedience and to be the promise of the prophets. And then third, this Christ, the Savior, this promised Messiah of Israel is the Lord. As with much of Luke's story, it resonates with both Jewish and Roman contexts. Caesar as Lord is one of the main claims of the imperial cult. And yet, Luke says, in this humble birth, the true Lord comes. But even more than this, the Savior who is born to bring peace with God is the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, who walked with them in the wilderness, come in the flesh. The shepherds then are given a humble sign that this good news is true. What is the sign? You will find an infant swaddled and lying in a manger. What a counterintuitive sign that God himself, the creator of the universe, has been born into the world and the sign is strips of cloth and a baby in a manger. The Venerable Bede notes, the sign given is not a child enfolded in Tyrian purple, but one wrapped round with rough pieces of cloth not found in an ornate golden bed, but in a manger. This is a different sort of king whose birth is humble, who is signified by humble signs. And the pattern continues. What are the signs that the Lord gives his people of his grace, of peace with God? A little washing with water that we call baptism, a humble meal, a little morsel of bread, and a sip of wine, or today it'll be... Uh, cranberry juice, <laughs> a humble meal that we call communion, the Eucharist. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? The glory of God hidden in a little washing and a little meal. And what is the great end of Jesus being born in this humble, low estate? Why is he wrapped in cloth, lied in a manger? Why is he wrapped in linen shroud and laid in a tomb? Why does he give himself to make peace between God and humanity? Well, the angels say, it brings glory to God in the highest. The glory of the Lord shines through this baby in the manger, through his humble birth, through his humble, obedient life, through his wretched death, through his glorious resurrection. It's all to the glory of God. Here then is the good news. Today a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. This good news is the foundation for transforming fear before God into joy before God. How do we respond then? How do we trade great fear for great joy? Well, the shepherds give us a model. They hear the good news, just as you're hearing it right now. Then they hurry to respond. Literally, they say, come on, let's get going to Bethlehem and see this thing. Hearing secondhand, as it were, is not enough. They've got to come to Jesus for themselves. So friends, the first step in responding is not only hearing this message, but coming to Jesus, seeing him for yourself. Notice they don't go alone, but they encourage one another. They say, come on, friend, let's go together. As you hear this good news and respond, you need to be part of a body of Christians who encourages you to seek the Lord. So the shepherds hurry and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
Imagine that scene. It's a bit like you're on the way to the hospital to give birth and you pass a, a, a road construction project and then after you give birth, all the road workers come in to see the baby and the road's filled with... I mean, that's the scene here is these shepherds from the field coming straight from their work into the, the, the room to see the baby. They see for themselves and what do they do? They tell others and they go glorifying and praising God. The good news, great fear transformed into great joy. Peace between God and man, it's all to the glory of God. And so they go away singing to God's glory. Friends, this Christmas, let's be careful not to sentimentalize the story of Jesus' birth. He came in poverty, obscurity, on the margins of the empire, but a hidden hand is at work that is the undoing of all imperial claims to power. God governs even Caesar Augustus, directing the Roman Empire to his own end. But let's also not trivialize Jesus' birth. Here is light shining in the darkness. Here is the good news that we need to hear. Good news that is great joy for all. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this humble birth. This humble birth that is light shining in the darkness. We thank you that this good news that Christ has come to make peace between God and man can transform our great fear into great joy. And so we ask, Lord, some today are perhaps wrestling with this good news, wondering if it's too good to be true. By your Spirit, show them that it is indeed true. Others of us, Lord, uh, have celebrated many Christmases and we tend to sentimentalize or trivialize it. Help us to remember how world-changing the claims of Christmas Day are. Indeed, Lord, let us celebrate this Christmas day with great joy that today a Savior is born for us, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. We're going to turn now to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as we do so, we're going to confess together using the Nicene Creed, and it's printed on page 846 in the hymnal. If you need a prompt uh, towards the back of the hymnal there, On page 846, the Nicene Creed this week. I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. 
And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, this is really what the shepherds said to each other. We've heard good news preached. Now let us go and see if this thing that has happened, let us see for ourselves what the Lord has made known to us. That's what we do when we come to the Lord's table. You hear God's words preached. Now you see for yourself. His grace is given to you at this table. It's a humble sign, and yet the grace and glory of the God of all things is given to us here at this table. It's quite remarkable. Friends, this is a meal for those whose faith is in Christ Jesus and who have been baptized, marked as belonging to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you uh, believe in Jesus Christ, please come to this table. If you've been baptized, please come to this table. Uh, if you don't believe in Jesus, please, uh, you haven't put your faith in Him. If you haven't said Christ is the Lord, then I'd ask you to uh, refrain from joining us in this meal and reflect on the mystery. With everything that's already gone wrong this morning, I'm not going to try and recite the words of institution from memory. Will the elders uh, uh, come forward uh, that are going to help me serve this meal this morning? Let us pray. We thank you, God, that you loved the world and so gave your only Son the greatest Christmas gift imaginable. We thank you that at this table you give us Christ once again, that we feed in some mysterious spiritual sense on Christ's very life here at this table. So we ask that you would use these humble elements to give your grace to us. We ask that you would make up for what is lacking in this meal by your grace. Be at work in us as we eat this meal together. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks to the name, he said, This is actually in remembrance of me. I'll distribute that it's use time to reflect and prepare our hearts for this meal. There will be things that you need to confess. Maybe prayers that you need to make. Uh, pinch off some bread, hang on to it, and we'll eat it all together.
looking for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the cup is distributed, let's sing together, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent, hymn number 193. together this cup, which is the Christ's blood, the new covenant.
Let us pray one more time. Lord, by this simple meal, strengthen your people. Give us energy to fight against sin, against darkness in our own lives. Strength to do your work. Give us a passion, a zeal for doing good work in your name. Let us be attentive to the needs of others. Let us be cautious in our words and in our thoughts. Let us live your life in us as we are strengthened by your uh, body and blood given for us. Amen. Receive now the blessing of our Lord. Rise to your feet and then we'll sing Joy to the World and the Doxology as we leave. And just uh, a reminder, until Albert gives us the go-ahead, I think stuff's still frozen. So, uh, yep. Uh, the blessing of our Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased.